Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. You are listening to Radio Islam on WCEV 1450 AM. And I'm your host, Tariq Alameen. Remember, we are now streaming live at www.wcev1450.com. And if you are new to the Radio Islam family, well, listen here. We are a live call-in talk radio program. We air every day from 6 to 7 p.m. And you can follow us, like us on uh, social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you'll find us at Radio Islam USA. And also, any of the episodes that you hear, uh, if you like, you want to share them, go back and revisit them. You'll find us wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, that's iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. All right, Radio Islam family, I've got to tell you something really quickly. I'm a little off my my game, and I'll tell you why, because I don't have my headphones, and it's it's very disorienting. Uh, I don't think I've done it like this before. This is the first time I've done this? I did. You're right, in the beginning. Yeah, okay. I just forgot. I forgot. Okay. Well, look, Radio Islam family, um, we're not going to bore you with my, my headphone woes. Uh, we have a great, a great conversation uh, ahead for you. Uh, we have in studio with us Mariam Ahmed. Uh, Mariam Ahmed is the chief of the Juvenile Justice Bureau for the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. Uh, she's also the former Cook County Circuit Court judge, uh, former Cook County assistant public defender, and former senior academic administrator for several universities. And get this, she's also served as the city of Chicago's sexual harassment officer. So, I, I mean, there's quite a bit more, but I'm not going to give it all to you right now. I'm sure it's going to come up. Uh, within the course of our conversation, but uh, we welcome you to Radio Islam. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Imam Tariq, uh, and assalamu alaikum to your listeners. Well, alaikum assalam. As well. I'll give it right back. All right, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so thank you for being here. Um, you hold a very uh, important, important position uh, in dealing with uh, juveniles, uh, juveniles who are often. Uh, in particular, we're talking about black and brown juveniles in particular. Um, they are often, I guess, stigmatized or or, or looked at uh, as if they are on a clear-cut path to nowhere once they are in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I heard uh, you mention uh, at a, a prayer breakfast I was um, uh, fortunate to attend, I heard you give this story about the toolbox. You talked about your father and, and, and his toolbox. And the and you you were talking about it in, in a way that uh, you were talking about developing your prosecutors so that they would they would have more resources, they would they would have greater sensitivities, they'd be better prosecutors. Mm-hmm. Would you share a little bit of that of that story? First of all, <laughs> I bring greetings to you and to your listeners from our Cook County State's Attorney, her Honorable Kimberly Fox. Yes, yes. Um, and thanks to her, uh, I am in this role and serving the people of Cook County in this capacity, and for that I'm very grateful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as the Chief of the Juvenile Justice Bureau, I have approximately 75 Assistant State's Attorneys um, in nomenclature known as prosecutors mm-hmm. who um, serve Cook County and the citizens of Cook County in our bureau. I became uh, the bureau chief in February of 2017. And one of the things uh, that I brought with me to that position is experience having been an assistant state's attorney in juvenile justice. There are two areas of juvenile justice. There is um, one side, uh, which is the Child Protection Division, which handles abuse, neglect, and dependency cases. And then there's the juvenile justice side, which handles misdemeanor and felony prosecutions uh, of cases committed by, offenses committed by uh, juveniles, individuals under the age of 18. Mm -hmm. And so because we work with so many young people uh, in our bureau, of course, we want our assistant state's attorneys to be very sensitive to the needs 
of young people and uh, to always keep in mind as we're doing the work that we are doing on behalf of the citizens of Cook County that ultimately the uh, people who are coming into our courthouses are not adults but children right and so um, one of the things that state's attorney Fox emphasizes is balanced and restorative justice the principle of not only making the community and uh, the community whole, but the victim whole, um, but also uh, taking care and being concerned, concerned and showing concern for the offender. And so when you have that type of philosophy, you can't use the hammer right. on every defendant or every juvenile offender that comes before you and that was a very important lesson that I wanted to teach the many attorneys many of whom are younger prosecutors who work in my bureau um, my father was a tradesman in fact um, I'm from Ohio originally mm -hmm. and my father was um, the first African-American union tradesman uh, to be a glazer in wow. Dayton Ohio and okay. so for him, his toolbox was everything. Mm -hmm. In fact, as kids, you know, I had uh, four other siblings. We used to take turns teasing each other. You better not touch daddy's toolbox. You better not touch daddy's toolbox. And if you look at it, mm -hmm. one of the siblings would say, I'm going to tell daddy, you were touching his tools. <laughs> you're touching his tools. So the toolbox is uh, a very important symbol and is also representative of kind of the work that we do as sure. um, prosecutors because we have various tools as well. The law, the facts, uh, the uh, people who are involved in cases, the, uh, uh, the different um, means that we have at our disposal of resolving cases. And so one of the things that I noted from previous years, and this is before um, State's Attorney Fox is that sometimes we were quick to grab the hammer mm -hmm. and not um, take care to use the whole range of tools that we have, uh, the whole range of tools in our um, lawyer's toolbox. Right. And like a tradesman, imagine uh, for those uh, listeners who, who do construction work or trades work. Imagine day in and day out, you coming to work <laughs> with your hammer mm -hmm. and nothing else. <laughs> Calling yourself gonna build a house with your hammer and nothing else. You get run off the or, job. <laughs> or calling yourself gonna put in some windows with a hammer and that's your only tool. It's, it's yeah. ludicrous. Mm -hmm. And so when I talk to my attorneys about is making sure that we're not quick to just use the hammer, meaning you know, the book, as, as people say, throwing the book at folks. Right first time out the box, but to look at what the nature of the offense is and respond accordingly using all the tools that we have in juvenile justice and in child protection. And so it was from being around my father and watching him as a child mm -hmm. using all the different tools. He had, he had tools I still have never seen any other tradesmen have. But it taught me in the value of just being multifaceted in how we do our work and then teaching all of these up-and-coming uh, future, perhaps, uh, felony trial prosecutors. Uh, these individuals, meaning the individuals who work for me one day, might be working at a 26 in California, might be working at a Skokie courthouse, might be working at a Markham courthouse. And when they arrive at that point in their careers, I want them to come with their tool belt and big old toolboxes <laughs> loaded with different tools so that they are creative in how they resolve cases before them. So. So general, do you are you generally the entry point for most new attorneys, for new new, no, new prosecutors? No, we're we're a second level assignment. Okay. When our prosecutors come to us, they they start in my bureau. Uh, most of them on the child protection side. Okay. So they're handling the abuse, neglect, and dependency cases. But even before they arrive in juvenile court, their first level assignment is usually in appeals. Handling, handling appellate cases, writing appellate briefs, okay. or child support, helping individuals, people of, of Cook County who are involved in child support court, obtain child support from parents who um, aren't paying child support. And then the other 
first level assignment is first municipal, meaning working in the misdemeanor courtrooms of the city of Chicago. Mm. Okay. And how have you, um, so it's been what? Uh, a little a year, over a year, year and a half. A year almost. and a month. Year and a month. A year and two months. That's right. That was <laughs> August, I think. Not August. It was whatever it was. You got it right. You got it right. Mm-hmm. Um, so what have you, what has been uh, the greatest challenge thus mm-hmm. far in, because what you're talking about is, at least I look at it, and I was so excited when I heard heard uh, you speak, and I heard um, uh, the Honorable Kim Fox speak, mm-hmm. uh, just about changing the the paradigm, changing mm-hmm. the culture, uh, mm-hmm. and bringing more bringing more tools out of the box. Mm-hmm. So when people people are often resistant to change, mm-hmm. uh, but so what has been or has that been a challenge mm-hmm. in getting people to identify more tools in a box well the the beauty of having the person at the very top the state's attorney being restorative is that she communicates that mission throughout the organization so the assistant state's attorneys who presently work for the state's attorney's office understand that Mm -hmm. that's the mission of the organization and that becomes ingrained in them from the first assignment. And so for those people who were hired by the previous administration who remained, they were very enthusiastic about the state's attorney coming on board and um, quickly um, joined her in, in the quest for making sure that juvenile is as restorative as possible. I, I mentioned to you before the program started mm-hmm. that um, I'm a, a circle keeper. And, and I, re- yeah, and I received that, that peace circle <laughs> keeping training as an assistant state's attorney in my current position. Mm-hmm. And not only was I trained, but all of my supervisory staff, all of my um, division chiefs, my supervisors, um, not only for the attorneys, but for the support staff. Mm-hmm. We're trained to be circle keepers because we believe in modeling the restorative mindset in everything we do and ingraining that in what we do. And uh, there are times when I conduct meetings with the attorneys in my bureau and we sit in circle to do that. And I know when they move on yeah. and go, for example, to 26th Street or some of these other places, they're going to take these restorative-minded skills with them. So we have to. I'm glad you brought that up. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go back a moment. And would you give the give the Radio Slime family an idea of what the restorative uh, justice um, uh, model is? Uh, well, and what the what the peace circles are and how these operate. Okay, so the restorative justice model is a, a, t- a type of juvenile justice where the focus is on restoring the victim, to, to make the victim whole. And to do that is to um, bring the, uh, the offender into a conversation uh, and a part of the process such that the offender accepts responsibility for what he or she did, but also um, takes steps to make the victim whole. Mm-hmm. So restorative meaning you're restoring the person to a, uh, to an, an acceptable level where they were before. Mm-hmm. Um, while so much focus is on being restorative, my work this last year, not only with um, offenders and with victims and with the state's attorneys that I supervisor, has um, caused me to look beyond restorative justice to a type of justice that I call transformative. Restorative mm. leaves the victim where they were at the point where they were victimized. Transformative moves them and the offender in a positive direction beyond where they were. And and mm. that's where I think we're going um, as the state's attorney's office um, by um, identifying programs and uh, services for not only victims but also offenders to make sure that when they are 
um, finished with the court process, that they are in a better place, not where they were before, but in a better place than they were before. Understanding, as, as we discussed earlier, that anyone who commits an offense ultimately is going to come back to that community. Exactly. And you want them to be in a position where the community will receive them and give that, that a, a offender, that juvenile offender, another chance yes you know and, and that brings it makes me think about a conversation i had um we had some of our uh friends from iman they were on mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me uh maybe a, a couple of weeks back but uh, they were talking about just the, just in the phrasing mm-hmm. of people who are coming back as, as opposed to uh, uh parolees or mm-hmm. ex-cons they, they were they referred to them as returning citizens mm-hmm. and that I think is extremely uh, important mm-hmm. if we want to be if we want to transform uh, people if we want people to be able to not just pick up where they mm-hmm. left off but to to move forward. Mm-hmm. So uh, when you say that, it just popped right in you mm-hmm. know into my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so, one of the beauties of the peace circle. Mm-hmm. So the peace circle is um, it's built on um, most of our histories. Uh, that are tribal in nature Um, and in tribal meaning uh, when there were problems and issues in amongst the tribe you would go to the elders Mm -hmm. and sit with the elders the aggrieved person would come with their representatives the person who was the accused would come and sit among the elders with his or her representatives and then they would work through the issue and determine what could be done to compensate this aggrieved person right. and, and make them whole. And so the peace circle model is based on that. Mm. And so we sit in circle um, for different reasons. Sometimes it's because we're trying to resolve a problem or an issue. Sometimes we're, we're trying to develop creative ideas. Sometimes we're just sitting in circle um, because there's um, – uh, we, we we are looking for a way to boost morale, to, to deal with stress, um, and to, to handle day-to-day issues. So there are many reasons why one um, sits in circle, right. but it brings the community together, and it um, develops problem-solving skills, not individually, but as a community. So I'm, you can probably hear from the tone of my voice, I'm such a circle fan. <laughs> now, what I found really interesting is that you were so you were appointed as a circle keeper after in this position no i was trained you were trained so what we did was we found um, a circle keeper uh, to come in and to train us mm-hmm. and uh myself two division chiefs six supervisors two administrative supervisors we all went through circle keeping training so that we c- could all keep circles amongst our own colleagues and to use that skill if necessary in the community as well. Not just for us. We're not going to keep that right. skill to ourselves. <laughs> are, are you all one of the, uh, is this a rarity? That I don't know. It I, just I, feels I, like it is. Uh, well, the, <laughs> the person who trained us yeah. uh, said to us several times, if the voters knew that state's attorneys were so restorative-minded, I think they would be astounded. Mm-hmm. And and I said to her, but they sh- we they shouldn't be, right. because we, we this is a new administration. We have a new leader, and this is who she is. She's very restorative-minded. Yes. And so of course she would impart the desire to be restorative-minded to everyone who works in her organization. Now. Not everyone might have the interest to become a circle keeper, mm-hmm. but for us in juvenile court, it's so pivotal to what we do. And so, again, we have to model those um, methodologies that we want others to accept and to utilize. Mm. Well, how often do you, um, so do you keep circle in the, in the community? I I haven't done any circles in the community yet. Okay. Um, But I do use them (laughs) 
at work. <laughs> so you use that as a tool. That's in your toolbox. Yes, when we have our senior staff meetings, we sit in circle. Yeah. I've sat in circle with just my division chiefs. I've uh, brought in some assistant states attorneys, and we've kept circle. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a wonderful tool, and a lot of your listeners should really think about it, even in their job and in their work. It's a wonderful way to um, to to get everyone to communicate and to open up as a group, and uh, it's a it's a wonderful way to bond also with those with whom you work. Mm -hmm. So tell me this: How did you come into into the law? So law law is my second career mm -hmm. uh, and as you were reading my bio I had to smile because uh, it has been quite a diverse career there have been many stops along the way um, I started out in higher education mm -hmm. and initially my first career was college admissions I um, was an assistant director of admissions at Bucknell University which is in central Pennsylvania I'm also the former director of minority recruitment at Yale University. So my focus for the early part of my career was helping primarily students of color get into college and graduate from college. Right. And um, this was primarily at second tier and Ivy League schools. Um, in 1991, uh, there was some unrest here in Chicago at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Some of you all remember this. There was a student who painted a very disparaging portrait of the late Mayor Harold Washington. Mm -hmm. He painted this uh, portrait of him wearing ladies' undergarments. And he hung that portrait in an exhibit, a student exhibit. And so um, a number of um, aldermen and community leaders converged on the museum and took down the painting and um, complained to the museum board and to the legislature. And in fact, um, what subsequently happened is the Art Institute itself almost lost its funding because of the perceived insensitivity of, of the students at the School of the Art Institute. And so one of the um, uh, agreements that the president of the museum and the president of the school made is that they would create um, a special position dedicated to diversity, an assistant dean of multicultural affairs and affirmative action. And when that position was created, I was the first person who was hired to fill that position. So um, I am the person that Mirth and Gert, the <laughs> portrait, brought to Chicago. Yes. And, and Everything so, works towards the good. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so I stayed at the School of the Art Institute in that position for five years. And then DePaul University at the time was experiencing student unrest as well. And um, the uh, president uh, created um, a position, special assistant to the president on diversity um, because a number of the students were protesting over the lack of diversity of, uh, of the faculty and senior staff. So um, I was the first person to fill that position. And DePaul University had a law school. And so when I came on board, I started taking classes uh, at the law school at night and ultimately graduated from DePaul at night. You were putting in some long days. Yes, I was. I was always exhausted. <laughs> in fact, my son was born uh, during my second year of law school, and I um, actually went into labor while I was working on the exam. And wow. um, I said to him, I'm going to need you to let your mama finish this exam. <laughs> Because anyone who's been in law school knows you once you start an exam, you can't stop it. You have to finish it or oh, you have really? to t take it all over again, which I did not want to do. Hmm. So my son cooperated. He allowed me to turn in my exam, and he was born shortly thereafter. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yes, I'm filled with personal trivia. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know what? This is a good time. I'm looking. We're just we're we're time. This is one thing you'll you'll see. Time always flies by mm -hmm. um, here when we're on. Uh, so look, Radio Sound family. We're talking with Mariam Ahmed. Uh, she is the chief of the Cook County State's Attorney's uh, Juvenile Justice Bureau. I got that right. You did. All right. All right. So we're gonna take a short break. 
But when we come back, we will pick up our conversation. And I want to hear, like, what's the difference between these these two uh, lives of your career? Okay. Right, right. Okay. okay, so we'll be back in just a moment. Traffic had stopped. Pedestrians were lying on sidewalks and curled up in doorways. There was no sign of violence, no wrecks, nothing like that. It was as if the people in New York had simply decided to stop whatever they were doing and pass out. Ice coated my stomach. The invasion has started. To find out what happens next, read Percy Jackson and the Olympians by Rick Reardon. Explore new worlds and check out more cool books at your local library. And visit read.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent, one in 260,000. The odds of him having 15 career NASCAR victories, one in 1.7 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism, one in 88. I'm Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. My name is Sue Smith. I'm 38 and I work at a graphic design company. And the teenage me would tell you, I wouldn't be into drawing and art if it wasn't for Big Brother's Big Sisters. My big sister showed me early on that I could do anything. And to the young me, that meant a lot. My big sister's name is Sheila, and Sheila is the reason that this 8-year-old grows up to have an amazing job as a graphic designer. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brother's Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brother's Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Foreclosure is hard on every member of the family, but your family is not alone. If you're struggling with your mortgage, there is help. To learn about the government's Making Home Affordable program, visit makinghomeaffordable.gov or call 1-888-995-HOPE to speak to a HUD-approved housing counselor. It's free of charge. Visit makinghomeaffordable.gov or call 1-888-995-HOPE today. Brought to you by the U.S. Treasury, HUD, NeighborWorks America, and the Ad Council. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back. This is Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq El Amin, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. Streaming live at www.wcev1450.com. And remember, folks, you can keep up with us on social media by following and liking our pages on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where you will find us at Radio Islam USA. That is at Radio Islam USA. And there's something that I did not tell you earlier. If you'd like to give a call, if you got a comment or a question, you can give us a call at 312 750 1178. That's 312-750-1178. We are joined in studio this evening by Mariam Ahmed. She is the chief of the Juvenile Justice Bureau for the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. Um, I know some great folks over there. I mean, I know some really yes. good people. <laughs> yes. Um, there I mean, are good people Yeah, everywhere. I mean, from the top, from the top down. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to give a big shout out real quick to another great person over there, uh, Lori Smith. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Victim witness. Yeah, yeah. So yes. I've, I've done the. She's um, outstanding. Yeah, they, they do some phenomenal work. I've done the uh, the invocation mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. for the past, I think, three, three, three or four years or so for the victim's um, uh, witness memorial. Yes. yes. So, um, anywho, and <laughs> it's not about me. <laughs> um, so, what has been what has been the your greatest takeaway from being from your career in law, these two halves of your uh, of your professional life, mm-hmm. what has been the biggest takeaway for you? So um, let me just take a, a, a detour and share sure, a story. Sure. Yeah, I started yeah. out as a corporate and civil litigator, uh, specializing ah. in intellectual property law, right. uh, which is trademarks, copyrights, and, and patents. Mm-hmm. And when I would go to federal court, often I was the only African-American there in the courtroom, mm-hmm. except for when the defendants would come out. And um, I would look at the African-American Latino 
defendants because it was just great for me to see someone else of color and, and they, I could tell, were doing the same thing. And so it was those moments that helped me see that I really wanted to do more to impact uh, black and brown folks, people who, who looked like me. And that precipitated my move into criminal law initially as a public defender and then later as an assistant state's attorney. Uh, one of the things that I love the most about criminal law and juvenile law is that you have an opportunity as a lawyer to impact the lives materially for so many people. And people who without your help mm -hmm. would, would lose hope or would be in despair. And, right. and that is one of the greatest blessings that one can have is um, a skill or a talent that can benefit not only another person, but when you positively impact that one person, you understand that you're also impacting additional generations for that person's family. So you learn early on to be meticulous, not to take anything for granted. Um, when you're advocating for someone to turn over every stone, to dot every I and cross every T because someone's life may depend on it and someone's family line might depend on it. It's an awesome responsibility, but it's what um, helps me continue to do this work over and over and over. So when you left from being a corporate litigator, litigator um, did, was there a, I mean, obviously you're already, you're already an attorney, you're already a lawyer. Was there a learning curve moving from corporate uh, intellectual property, that, that type of litigation, uh, to, to wor uh, working uh, in this, this new, new sphere as a, uh, as a defense attorney, right? So um, here's, I'll, I'll respond to that in a way that I think a lot of your listeners will understa understand. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you might think you know what your path is, mm -hmm. but gotta show you through resistance that the way you're going isn't the right way. That's the truth. And so when I was a corporate and civil litigator, I would go to work and go to court, but things were always hard, were difficult. I was always the only African-American uh, in my office. I was always, every day, I, I used to say I would come home feeling like Mike Tyson. Mm. And um, in order to make myself feel value, valued and valuable, I would volunteer at an organization called First Defense Legal Aid. First Defense is a not-for-profit that is, is run by volunteer attorneys who represent individuals charged with um, criminal offenses, criminal felony criminal offenses uh, be, before they're charged, I'm sorry, who are arrested and in custody at Chicago police stations and who need lawyers. Um, and, and, and the pivotal time is to get down to the station to represent the person before they say or do something against their interests. And so I would spend my weekends and, and holidays doing this work, so much so that I loved it more than my day job. So I eventually quit my day job to volunteer full time at First Defense Legal Aid. And I remember telling the executive director of First Defense at that time, who was uh, ironically a pastor as well. Mm -hmm. I told him, I said, I know this may sound crazy to you, but I think God wants me to do this type of work. And so I'm here, I don't have a job, I quit my job, <laughs> I don't have any money, I have a child that I'm supporting, but I know I'm supposed to do this. And he said to me, I don't think you're crazy because last night I prayed that the Lord would send me a lawyer because really? I don't have a budget to hire a lawyer and I'll help you and I'll teach you everything you need to know. And so for six months, he taught me everything he knew about criminal law and, and got my confidence up to the point where I started taking cases on my own so I could support myself. 
So mm-hmm. when you take those steps forward and you walk out on faith, the Lord will show up that's and he will show, show up, up strong. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. So to answer your question about how I transitioned, that's how it ha- happened. So you transitioned because you were supposed to transition. It was the, the hand <laughs> of God. The hand of God. Wow. Wow. So in the time that you have been, um, so you went from uh, defense. Yes. Right. And then at a certain point, you made the switch. So you, you left corporate uh, litigation feeling very much, you know, like a unicorn. Right. Yes. Um, and, and hollow. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not something that everybody and, and even the Radio Slime family may not. Everybody listening may not understand that or be able to relate mm-hmm. to that. Um, the feeling of being the only one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not something everybody gets. But um, but when you made the transition to uh, to just you doing primarily just defense. Right. right. I was the public defender. So I was at 26 in California and between 26 in California and the Daily Center. And so when the court called that I did in 26 at 26 in California, I was like in the lockup with the offenders. So you're talking a lot with people who are in custody and incarcerated. And so I learned firsthand the impact of the power of prosecution, being a defense attorney and seeing the impact of, of, of how incarceration affects not only the offender, but that offender's family. Yes. And so one of the things I noticed as a public defender is that the people who had the most power in the courtroom were actually the prosecutors, the assistant state's attorneys. They could charge cases, determine what would be charged, what the charges would be. They made sentence recommendations, d- determined whether there would be any plea arrangements, they even determined if cases would be dismissed. So I said, if that much power is to be had, and my people are usually on the other side of this power equation, then I need to be someone who has this power and ability to impact my people's lives. Right. And so I made the switch from being a public defender to an assistant state's attorney because I knew that I could impact my community much more favorably doing that work. Did everybody understand that? Move? Of course not. My, my family <laughs> didn't understand. My friends didn't understand. But once I articulated why, right. then they understood. And what the experience of being a public defender really helped me see is there's something called prosecutorial discretion, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so you learn the impact of the decisions that you're making you really understand that having been on the other side and seeing the result of those decisions. And it made me an uber sensitive assistant state's attorney, not just a very sensitive, a uber sensitive state's attorney to the power of prosecution. Hmm. Do you think that um, there are folks in the same system, right? Everybody's playing their their own part from the judge, Mm -hmm. defense attorney, prosecutor. that there are people who are modeling what we see on television where they are more interested in their own individual um, statistics, if you will, as opposed to making sure that justice is actually served. And let me take it a step further, where they're looking at justice from a, a, through a, a punitive lens as opposed to a uh, a restorative lens, thinking about this individual, somebody who has a capacity to change uh, and to grow, or just somebody who's worthy of being punished. Th- that hasn't been my experience in terms of in what you were saying about television. Yeah. And yeah. I know on television, on the prosecutor shows, people talk about their wins and losses, and mm-hmm. that's so foreign to me. Yeah. I, I've ne- never seen that okay. uh, because. That's, that's really not the orientation. And Cook County may be different in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, Cook County may not have the best criminal justice system, but it's one that we are all, at every level of the system, on a daily basis striving to make better. And I believe that we have made substantial gains. We have a long way to go. But for example, what a lot of people don't know is the first juvenile court in the world was started here in Cook County. So that's a legacy, that's a powerful Mm. legacy. So we're always working to improve what we do, how we do it. Not only in terms of the protection of 
the residents of the community, but also being mindful of those juveniles who come through the justice system as well. And we, we, we have a, a heightened responsibility to, to be progressive right. because of where we came from. We've been at this longer. Yeah. So we have a responsibility to set the standard for everybody else who's come behind us. Uh, and we, there, we take that seriously. We all t take that very seriously. Right, obviously. Uh, what are some of the major challenges in dealing with uh, juveniles in comparison to uh, adults as far as, far as it um, as it relates to the dispensation of justice? So juveniles, there's uh, so much research that um, has occurred on juvenile brain development. And frankly, the juvenile's thought process, it, process isn't as mature and developed as an adult. So young people tend to take risks and uh, engage in behaviors that are far more riskier than adults. Mm -hmm. And so the challenge is protecting the community, but also making sure that, uh, that we keep our offenders safe as well right. and allow them the, the the opportunity to continue to grow and develop because if, if if we can get them through this period the vast majority there will come a time when they will be very different mm. but we have to give them that opportunity but at the same time be very mindful of public safety right right um are the peace circles being used right now in uh in those areas where juveniles are being housed as, as far as you know um i um the um juvenile temporary detention center which was previously known as the audi home yes i know that they do use restorative justice practices for the young men the young men who are there and there are a few young women but mostly young men who are there um and one of the major circle keepers on the south side of Chicago actually does regular meetings there. Oh, really? Yes. Okay, that's 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 very encouraging, very encouraging. Uh, you mentioned um, Cook County's position as a basically as, as the as the pace setter, uh, the one the, the first juvenile justice uh, uh, court, mm -hmm. right? Um, are, are there is there um, conversation or communication between uh, the Cook County court system and, uh, and other counties where you all assess and look at best practices and uh, uh, as to your to your knowledge are other counties looking at restorative justice so we belong to a network of juvenile justice uh, offices that mm. nationally right. and uh, we meet and share resources um, it, it, it's it's um, be, because so much is dependent on jurisdiction issues that we have in Cook County, a juris another jurisdiction might not have and vice versa. So there are some distinctions, but we're all, uh, and when I say all, the assistant state's attorneys, the public defenders, the court advocates, the judges, the presiding judges, the uh, uh, probation department, we're all... <laughs> trying to do what we do better and are always trying to develop and enhance and improve our methodologies and, and borrow freely uh, <laughs> as we can right. uh, from wherever we can get uh, innovative ideas. And for example, there are some jurisdictions that do utilize for certain types of offenses, peace circles. And so there are more and more jurisdictions moving toward doing that. Hmm. And of course, one wouldn't uh, utilize a peace circle for every offense, right. but there are some um, offenses where that is um, restorative justice, that particular restorative justice technique is appropriate. Hmm. Uh, do you think that, hmm, this is probably gonna sound like a silly question, but I'm thinking, as I'm hearing, as I say restorative justice, I just feel like that mm -hmm. should be the aim of all justice. Mm -hmm. um, and it's actually, you know, we're not going to get into a theology uh, uh, discussion, but it really, that is one of the, that's a Quranic mm -hmm. um, um, uh, precept. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it is 
giving restoration to the person mm -hmm. that was that was wronged. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say to those uh, young people? My, I have a I have twins. One of them okay. is a, uh, has talked about being a public guardian or an attorney. Wonderful. Um, he can actually public. Most well, of our oh oh she, most of our public <laughs> guardians are they are all attorneys. Right. So it's the Cook County Public oh. Guardian's Office, right. which is staffed by lawyers who are guardians. Oh, is that the other part of your... Um... For the child protection side. Yes. Yes, that's okay. correct. All right. That's correct. All right. Uh, what, what do you say? What's the temperament? What, uh, what does that person need to prepare themselves for? To be a... You a have to be a public, public guardian. guardian. Yeah. First of all, you have to be someone who cares and is concerned about children. And there's... Um, several types of public guardians. There's the uh, public guardians who work with children. There are um, public guardians who protect uh, the um, uh, elderly. And there are public guardians who protect um, those who um, have disabilities. Really? Yes. So it's a multifaceted office. And actually, the former Cook County Public Guardian, Robert Harris, was uh, recently elected um, the Democratic candidate for judge for his sub-circuit. So he's actually on the bench now. He uh, was a, a Cook County Public Guardian. I, I know he was the first African-American man public guardian. But um, he served in his position for nearly 20 years and now is a member of the bench. Mm. Now, there is, um, there is a tendency for people, uh, and I, I look at this as frontline workers, mm -hmm. right? People mm -hmm. who, are in direct, um, who, are, who are in direct contact with either victims or, or offenders, and it can take a toll um, on you. Mm -hmm. So in terms of self-care, mm -hmm. what are some of the things that, uh, that are important uh, for you in, in the position for, and for those um, in, in your uh, department? That's one of the reasons I wanted uh, myself and my division chiefs and supervisors to learn how to conduct peace circles. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was primarily to deal with the issue of self-care because we are uh, in a profession that is um, immersed in violence. And uh, that does take a toll um, over time. Um, additionally, we talk to our assistant state's attorneys about diet and exercise and being active outside of the office and outside of the criminal justice field so that they can be whole and healthy as well because if you're not whole and healthy and happy in in your own life it's very difficult to to be um, calm pleasant giving in your work life and Perfect. we need attorneys who are are balanced and who are committed to doing the work but who are also those who um, mentally and um, and, and uh, spiritually, if you will, yeah. are ready to do this work because the work is very difficult work. Yeah, and I, I think it takes a certain kind of person. It um, does, it is, and this is not work for everyone. You were in speak, speaking about your daughter and mm -hmm. potentially uh, becoming a, a public guardian. Um, the type of work that we do is not for everyone because it does take a special sensitivity, um, not only to the needs of the community, but empathy and compassion to the people who are coming through the justice system right. and understanding that uh, people, have an, people deserve a chance to do better. And we have to give them room to, to, to when they fail, to, to get back up. And that's where that hammer comes in. If you're trying to stand up and I'm beating you down, well, that's not right either. So right. we have to give you, yes, you made a mistake, but the community should come together and help you be restored as well right. so that you can stand on your feet so that you're not in that position again. Yes, my daughter, she is, um, uh, Zahira, she is a mm -hmm. champion for the underdog. She hates to see anybody bullied uh, and she, yeah, she's. I'll give her that. She's she's very, you know, she gets very affected mm -hmm. when she sees somebody being. Um, she sounds like a lawyer. Yeah, put, she sounds like <laughs> such a lawyer. Put down. Yeah, 
So yeah, so she she may she may work make make her way uh, into that. But you know that's something I say to young people who come through the court system. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was on the bench, I used to say this to young people too, um, with their parents in court. The yeah. next time I see you in court, I don't want to see you here standing in front as a defendant. It should either be as a sheriff deputy, the public defender, private lawyer, the state's attorney, the court clerk, clerk or court reporter, mm. but not as a defendant. And people need to know that these are opportunities that you can aspire to and that um, t- um, contact with the justice system is, is, is not um, an end, right. but it can be a rebirth if you have the, the right mindset. And we give you the opportunity to stand up and to to try to be successful after that. You know that that is so true. Um, as we wind down, I want to ask you: mm-hmm. um, Does your office uh, or the Cook County State's Attorney's um, office in, in general uh, do they do any like youth um, outreach or any programs for young people who want to uh, learn more about the uh, about the department? We, um, there, uh, there are different uh, programs who will come and visit us, and uh, if uh, someone wants to come and bring young people to the courthouse, mm-hmm. we welcome visitors. Actually, um, um, we have a school coming on Thursday, and we'll host them and uh, have them meet some of the judges and meet some of our assistant state's attorneys, and there are s- uh, some other youth groups that come in as well. So we're happy to coordinate that kind of uh, visit for anyone who's interested. Okay, that's great. And we will also come out to schools. We do that as well and talk to the young people, uh, whether it's about becoming a lawyer or uh, just handling issues like bullying or staying away from the criminal justice system. We do that kind of thing as well. Okay. Well, it has been a pleasure talking with you, Mario. Thank you. I appreciate you. you taking the time to Tariq, come it's been my pleasure, and I thank you and your listeners for uh, allowing me the opportunity to speak and uh, to give me the opportunity to talk about the work of our state's attorney, Kimberly Fox, and now, also the work that we're our, doing. Yes, please give her um, our warm, sincere greetings. Thank you yes. so much. All right, Radio Slam family. Um, as we close out, we want to remind you that next Wednesday, April 11th, is Illinois Muslim Action Day. If you don't know about it, this is the 10th year that it has taken place. And if you want to get more information, you can go to CLGC.org. That's the Council of Islamic Organizations of Greater Chicago. Uh, to their website and get your info. You can uh, find out about the whole the, the platform, uh, get your directions, all of that good stuff. Hope to see you there because I will be there. So I'm hoping to see you there as well. Uh, and with that, we're going to go ahead and start to wrap up. So we're going to thank our engineers over at WCEV, Ramon. Thank you very much for making sure we come through loud and clear. We thank our engineer and studio, the impressive one, assistant producer Ibrahim Bake. I'm your host and producer, Tariq Alamine. We thank our executive producer, Abdul Malik Mujayid. And I believe we have run out of stuff to say. So we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.